Now that the Spokane International Film Festival is over, we can get back to our usual occupation, talking about the product that moves in and out of mainstream theaters. But before we do that, we need to discuss those films, two of them, in fact, that have moved from spiff screenings to full theatrical runs. Hi, I'm Mary Pat Truthart, this week's host of Movies 101. Stick around because Dan Webster, special guest Casey Andrews, and I are going to review a few of the more popular spiff offerings. The German-language film The Sandman, the French-Belgian whimsical fairy tale The Fairy, and a life and landscape study The Mill and the Cross. Plus, we'll preview the short films, animated and live action, that have been nominated for 2012 Academy Awards. So don't touch that dial because Movies 101 is coming up next, right here on Spokane Public Radio. The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101. Greetings, I'm Mary Pat Truthart, part-time film critic, full-time law professor at Gonzaga Law School. And I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokane7.com. And I'm Casey Andrews, professor of English and Film Studies at Whitworth University. Yay! Thanks, Casey. (laughs) And welcome to Movies 101, the show that gives new meaning to the cry, hey, my kid could make a film that good, or produce a radio show for that matter. Oh, that's not true, Patrick. Sorry. Um, This week, we are returning to some semblance of normal after having spent many hours in the dark viewing films offered by the just-finished 14th Annual Spokane International Film Festival. And we do so by greeting a new guest host to the Rotating Movies 101 crew, Professor Casey Andrews. Welcome, Casey. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Three of the films we will discuss, The Swiss Made, The Sandman, the Swedish-Polish production, The Mill and the Cross, and the French-Belgian fantasy The Fairy all played at Spiff and have been playing during special runs at the Magic Lantern. The Lantern, as it has in the past, is also going to pick up the Oscar-nominated shorts, animated, and live action, which we will also preview. But let's begin with that combination of two art forms, landscape painting and cinema, which come together in a bit of a movie meditation titled The Mill and the Cross. Dan? To begin with, I want to send out special kudos to the film critic Stephen Cole, who writes for the Globe and the Mail, the Canadian newspaper. And he called it the Mill and the Cross, like watching paint dry, but in a good way. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, for a couple of reasons. One thing, the Mill and the Cross is, is a unique kind of film in which it is based upon a painting, a landscape painting, one of the great paintings by Peter Bruegel the Elder, called, I believe, On the Way to Calvary. And it's one of those films that has something like 500 figures on it. And, you know, one of the, the I, I certainly don't know much about mid-16th century paintings, or life for that matter, or life now for that matter. Flemish paintings. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know um, a lot about Italian paintings from that era. Yeah. Saying okay. a lot? Come on, please. Okay. I mean, don't stretch. I know a lot about maybe the Coen brothers, but that's about it. Okay. My point is that while I don't know a lot, I do know something. And I do know that one of the things that Bruegel liked to do was fill his canvases with lots of action. And in this particular case, it is supposedly about 
Christ on the way to Calvary, carrying the cross and whatever. But with these 500 characters in in the picture, there are a lot of stories going on. So what the Polish-American filmmaker Lech Majewski tried to do was, based upon a screenplay, a a very loose screenplay written by Michael Francis Gibson, who's an art critic and a writer who writes a lot in Europe, basically tried to find the stories uh, among a group of people who are in this painting. And he does so by just basically doing maybe a cinematic version of what Bruegel does, which is just show the aspects of life. In this particular time in Flanders, apparently, it was when the Spanish had taken over, and so there was a lot of discrimination, there was a tyranny, there were uh, killings, uh, breaking on the wheel, uh, all sorts of horrible stuff. The only way you could basically protest against this without dying was the way Bruegel did subtly in his works. And so while this movie, A Mill and Lacrosse, does seem like paint dry because it's very slow, very deliberate, I found it fascinating. And there were a couple of reports of people walking out of the screenings at the film festival, and I, I think they really missed something. They didn't see it. I understand that. But I think they missed a pretty damn good film. And Dan, you know, I think it's great that you bring up the screenwriter here and this historical context. To me, the most memorable parts are those images of the torture, those images of what's happening that explains what's in the background of Bruegel's painting. It also, to me, is the part that gives me pause in that it feels a little like an art history lecture come to life. And I feel like I gained a lot of knowledge about the period and about ways to interpret Bruegel's work. But but I also wonder if that ends up being the art film equivalent of an inconvenient truth, if it just becomes an extended lecture film. And it's interesting that each of you have sort of focused on the art historical context rather than the, the movie part per se, because I know we'll get to that. Oh, there was a movie there? Well, yes. Okay. And there were actually were actors and characters, uh, such as they were. But I found that we were just sort of plopped down in the middle of this painting. So starting out at the beginning of the film, you don't have any context about what's going on. And as you point out, Casey, and as Dan indicated, it's it rolls out gradually over time. And so I think you can become sort of mesmerized by what's happening visually. And we do see some notable actors, Rutger Hauer. Well, it was his best role since uh, Hobo with a Shotgun, I have to say. <laughs> okay. Michael films. York, Charlotte Rampling. So we see some people who we recognize, but there are little sort of tableaus. Is that how you... Tableaus. Uh, tableaus, that. Okay, see, I told you I can't pronounce anything that's French. Is that French? At any rate, so I think that this is a, an intriguing story, but I understand uh, how some people just did not appreciate it Yeah, but it at some all. people didn't like Le Quattro Volte, that really terrific Italian film last year, which was basically the same thing. A camera plopped down in a little village, nothing tied it together except daily life in the village and goats running here and there and an old man dying and after he's snorting uh, dust that had been taken off the floor of the church, it's like, what is this movie about? It doesn't make any difference. It's about life itself. And that's what intrigued me about The Mill and the Cross. I understand. It doesn't speak for everybody. But it forced me to go and read a few things about Bruegel. And any film that will force you to do that 
there's something worth uh, recommending there. Yeah, as an educational experience, I think it's unparalleled. <laughs> Mary Pat, your use of the word story gives me pause okay, as well. Okay, that, uh, that's I, point well taken. I agree. That was, that you was wanted Rucker to pick up a shotgun then, okay? <laughs> you know, I, I felt like I, I couldn't get any handle on why they cast these big-name stars, except for it causes us to pay more attention when they give these long speeches over what we're seeing. And, you know, as far as art films go, I was thinking about people like Peter Green, Greenaway or um, Sukharov's Russian Ark, which is also an art film that shows us so much about the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, and yet it gives us so much more uh, visual heft and something to attach ourselves to, whereas this felt to me like a wonderful cerebral experience, but I don't know that people going for any emotion are going to find it here. I think that is a very, very astute observation because there is something we were talking about watching paint dry. There is something dry and removed about this, even with the violence, even with the family stories that yes. that we see playing in miniature. And so that's a very interesting comment. I hadn't really looked at it that way. Yeah. Well, if we move from there to some of the other movies that we're going to be talking about I don't know that they're going to fare any better. Which one do you want to do with, the Sandman or the Fairy next? Well, I think we're going to move from the meditative to the absolute quirky, whichever direction we choose to go in here. And I think that we have the Fairy, which is a French-Belgian fairy tale or fantasy, uh, so to speak. But I trust that you would agree that it's quirky and whimsical. Absolutely, yes. And uh, uh, no need to pause and watch the paint dry here. If you didn't like that joke, there's another one coming 10 seconds later. So uh, (laughs) jammed full. The fairy ends up being kind of a supernatural comedy. um, And it covers this... uh, unlikely relationship between a magical woman, the the fairy of the title, and the night manager of a small Parisian hotel. And it's just like an encyclopedia, I think, this film, of film comedy gags. It jams in everything from a classic meet-cute to Buster Keaton-style physical comedy and camera gags. And it's got one-liners. It's got funny little dance sequences, if you like those. So I tend to think of this film, if you appreciated the quirky sweetness of Amelie, but you thought that the actors in that movie were just too pretty, then (laughs) then you might like The Fairy. We should mention that the movie was co-directed by Dominique Abel and Fiona Gordon, who when I first saw them, I thought, these people not only are weird looking, but they have weird bodies. And then I realized these are dancers. These are mimes. These people are trained to move. And at one point, finally, they are dancing, doing just a wonderful dance across. And, and they're very talented performers. I couldn't really connect with this movie. It was just a little too frenchy, a little too quirky, a little too buffoonish for me. So, I, you know, I, I would pass on the ferry. But what did you think, Mary Pat? Uh, this is one of those uh, films, much like The Mill and the Cross, where I think people are going to react, in this case, maybe emotionally, to what they see. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not a huge fan either. But I do know people who saw it at the festival who raved about it. And so maybe if you just sort of, you know, let yourself go and are swept away by these characters, because they really are very talented. Well, to drop about three or four Xanax beforehand? <laughs> I mean, that could help also. I don't know exactly what the key would be. But I think that, you know, please understand going in that the fairy 
is, I mean, you said it was a supernatural fantasy, and I think that is because it has this sort of magical realist element to it. It, you know, has all of these uh, characters who I think are very sweet and charming, as Casey, you pointed out, uh, Amelie does immediately come to mind in terms of the charm, except these people have sort of an edge or something to them in a way that the characters in Amelie did not. So it's interesting because here we are, the three of us, and none of us is wildly enthusiastic about the fairy. But I don't know if we should tell the audience that we could be the three odd ones out (laughs) with respect to this. And I will say while I was watching it, I enjoyed a lot of the gags. And I imagined sitting there with my dad and my grandfather and having them laugh hysterically and then say, that was so stupid. I hated that movie. And (laughs) They would enjoy it the whole time while watching it. There were some other elements that I didn't mention, which is this bit about some African, Francophone African immigrants who are which mixed in. Which is in every single f- film made in France in the last five years. Well, wasn't this every filmed in La Havre also? Yes, as, right. As La Havre just, was... like, just like La Havre, which was maybe not filmed in La Havre, but it certainly took that title. That is the experience of Europe today, yeah. certainly the, the experience of France. And it just seemed to Even me like here. that was just sitting there in some yeah. ways and used for some gags. It feels like that's a pretty hot political issue to kind of add into the mix of gags. It just so happens it's these guys jammed in the trunk and immigration is chasing them and the extended the final, chase sequences. The final yes. view is them standing there. Oops, they missed the ferry. Oops, another kind of ferry. I What? Oh, what was that about? <laughs> so. Well, okay. So if the ferry didn't work for you, we're just going to say a, a few comments about doing Sandman, well, yeah, which the, is the Sandman, and Swiss that, romantic comedy. Hey, <laughs> let's not dump on my Swiss American ancestry. It's only half. The other half of your forebears were Greek, and those people do know how to laugh, especially at their own economy. <laughs> you know, you were talking about quirkiness. The Sandman is definitely quirky. When when you've got a guy who wakes up one morning and he starts finding that he's trailing sand everywhere, and then he figures out that every time he tells the truth or he tells a lie and is not living a truth, he's losing more and more sand. And then finally he starts losing arms and legs because he's actually made of sand. And this is in a Swiss uh, German language film. I didn't really know what to make of this movie. And ultimately, I don't know that I connected with it. But I have to admit that it was entertaining to watch. I mean, the way the ferry was entertaining to watch. And my main problem was our protagonist, the guy who's trailing sand, is just such an unlikable character that I could never really connect with him or his problems. Well, and but I did like the portrayals of the women in The Sandman. I mean, he has this ongoing sort of friendship, love-hate relationship with this woman who's a barista. She plays a recurring part throughout this film. And I grew to like our protagonist in The Sandman very much, ultimately. This, again, is one of those things where I think a lot of people responded very positively to The Sandman when it played at the festival. And it's going to be one of those things where perhaps you connect or not. So it's time to take a break. You've been listening to Movies 101, where we've tackled three films that played at the just-completed Spokane International Film Festival, The Mill and the Cross, The Ferry, and The Sandman. Remember that you can catch podcasts of our shows by going online at www.spokanepublicradio.org. We'll be right back to preview the Oscar-nominated shorts, so stick around. You're listening to Spokane Public Radio.
and we're back here on Movies 101. I'm Mary Pat Truthart, and this week I'm joined by Dan Webster and special guest Casey Andrews. During this half of the show, we're going to look at the short list of film shorts, animated and live action, that have been nominated for 2012 Oscars. You'll be able to learn which ones win on Sunday, February 26, when the Motion Picture Academy holds its annual banquet of self-glorification. But right now... Right here, you'll get a rundown on the shorts, which are set to play for a limited run at the Magic Lantern Theater. Let's begin with the uh, live action. There were five nominees. Pentecost from Ireland, Raju, which was a German-Indian production, The Shore, again from Ireland, Time Freak from the U.S., and a very weird little movie from Norway called Tuba Atlantic. I don't know where to begin here except to say that I would, of these, I don't even know why Time Freak got a, a nomination here. Of these, it's really the slightest of the films, don't you think? It feels like one of the problems with the short film genre, which is it felt to me like a calling card where these guys were saying, hey, we could do this again with a bigger budget and Vince Vaughn if you'd like us to. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that it's a bad movie. It's no. just an Oscar nomination. It's, Please. Just a, it's a joke. You could tell. Yes. Well, it's a, the only one, one from joke. the U.S. So maybe that came into play somehow because yeah. I don't know what else was you know, sort of in maybe. the mix. So um, which was your favorite, Mary Pat? You know, I liked Raju, which is... Because it freaked you out. Well, it did. It really made such an impression on me. And, of course, we had a discussion about it afterwards. It shows a couple who go to India to adopt a child, and clearly everything's been set up in advance. And so they go to the orphanage, pick up Raju, their child, and... And now we have to be very careful how we right. go on from here, because anything that we give away is going to ruin it. Let's just say right. that... So then, at one point, they are forced to deal with sort of a moral dilemma about yes. their ongoing relationship with Raju. And the couple, who we can tell love each other very much, are really excited about this child, have some different ways of coping with this circumstance that arises. I don't know. I was just completely taken with well, it. Well, you were and stunned I, by it. Yeah. I found it gripping, too. I feel like it also has a short film problem, which is trying to do too much in 25 minutes. This felt like a calling card for There's a great two-hour movie out of these materials, and the thriller elements, the emotional plot line, it was all handled pretty well, but it feels like there's a bigger movie waiting to get out. So what was your favorite of these? I actually liked the quirky, weird Norwegian so did I, actually. Atlantic. I felt like it set out to do something and accomplished it really well, which is this cantankerous old man who's given six days left to live, and you think it's going so it's to go saccharine sweet. Yes. And instead, he decides he'll spend his last days killing the seagulls that have been just <laughs> irritating him his and entire life. Killing them, he shoots them with a submachine gun it's a man. and blows them up with <laughs> it's, dynamite. It's a man who has lots of grudges that he has not yet resolved, one of which is with his brother, and you're waiting for the resolution of that. And then this character who's brought in a, a born-again Christian... The death angel who's going to help him die, and she gets kind of caught into his angel of death status himself. And it features the world's largest air horn, an unforgettable comic gag. I loved it. I felt it set out to do what it meant to. I just got have to give a shout out to The Shore, though, because this is a movie that was a little bit longer, and it, and it has Carrie Condon and Sharon Hines people who are recognizable and it goes in one direction that you think well this I know exactly where this is going and then at one point it just has a flip and goes in another direction that's very comedic and I found myself laughing out loud and I liked the film 
Do I think it's necessarily going to win? No. And is it a better film than the one you're talking about, Tube Atlantic? No, Casey, it isn't because they're apples and oranges. I liked it better, but that doesn't mean it's a better film. I, I agree with everything you had to say about Tube Atlantic. And then we have the final Irish film offering, Pentecost, which was very amusing, and I really liked the kid protagonist. I think it was not quite up to snuff with these others that we've been discussing, but I did really enjoy it. It too feels like a conceit that it feels like uh, someone said, what if the mass were played like a sports movie? Yes, exactly. And I think that they were trying to make this larger statement about what's important in Irish life, the sort of influence of religion and sports and so forth, but it didn't quite come together in a way that was satisfactory. What about well, the animated films? And the animated films, we have another list that includes Sunday or Dimanche, a French film, the Fantastic Flying French Books. French-Canadian, excuse me. The Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Mr. Morris Lessmore, La Luna, which is the Disney Pixar production, A Morning Stroll, and also Wildlife. My sense is that uh, I always figure bet on Pixar if you're going to be in your Oscar pool in terms of the winner, but my actual favorite of that lot was Wildlife. I felt like it had an interesting story about Alberta in 1909 and this English gentleman who sets out (laughs) to make it big, and instead he's writing letters home that are lying about the great life as he's slowly going to die in the wilderness, and it's this beautiful thing about nature, and I like the hand animation as opposed to the kind of knee-jerk computer graphics. Well, I agree that there are really different offerings here. They really run the gamut. And I like the fact that some of them are virtually silent, whereas we do have dialogue in others. My favorite, the fantastic flying books of Mr. Morris Lessmore. Now, I just think that's probably not going to win just because the name is so unwieldy. But there was just something about the books, the animation itself was almost like back to those Madeline books of old. And I just found it to be very, very tugging at the heartstrings. And I liked that. And I guess I liked the book reading part as well. Yeah. Of these five films, I liked A Morning Stroll, but I thought it was clever and kind of a one note gag. La Luna was beautiful. It was just really beautiful, but slight in the way that Pixar sometimes is slight. It's like they want to impress you with the look and touch your heart, but it's a touch rather than a grip. But the colors are beautiful. Oh, the colors Mm. are absolutely beautiful. Those guys invented this whole way of making films. Mm. Dimanche, I don't even know why this was in here. I didn't really particularly care for it and couldn't make anything out of it. Wildlife, I saw it twice, and I agree with everything you had to say, Casey. There's something about they're trying to weave in the notion of a comet and the life of a comet and the meaning of a comet along with this guy's life that didn't quite work for me. It was like they were taking too much of a stretch. And so ultimately, I have to agree with Mary Pat. I love the fantastic flying books of Mr. Morris Lessmore because it does deal with the, apparently this is a Louisiana filmmaker. And so there's a little bit of Hurricane Katrina there. There's a little bit of tragedy. There's a story of life and reading is at the very center of this. So I think that that's the odds on favorite for winning the Academy Award. And I I really did like it a lot. And that our memories are preserved in books and that there's a a black and white motif that every time you open a book, it turns into color. And And how about the Humpty Dumpty character who was a character in and of himself? Pop goes the weasel. A book who plays the piano and and when he cries, you cry at the end. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's always hard to pick out... um, You see these shorts oftentimes lumped together in these shorts programs. And I think that that 
that, of course, is the most efficient and effective way to see these things. And I think when these films show at the Magic Lantern, they're also going to show other commendable films along with the Oscar-nominated shorts. Sometimes I think maybe it's disadvantageous to see them all in a group because I think standing alone, maybe they would make a much greater impact on us. Well, that's it for another edition of Movies 101. This week we looked at three feature films, The Mill and the Cross, The Fairy and the Sandman, and the Oscar-nominated slate of animated and live-action short films. As always, we owe a debt of thanks to Patrick Clausen, who both produces and engineers our show, and we thank you, too, our loyal listeners. Tune in next week and we'll tackle more of the cinematic arts from the holdovers from the Spokane International Film Festival to maybe even a mainstream feature or two. Until then, keep going to the movies and absolutely more important, keep listening to Spokane Public Radio. Thank you.